listening to the podcast of Northside Assembly of God in Crowley, Louisiana. Amen. I'm excited uh, to preach. I, I really, really feel strongly about this word I'm going to give you today. Last Sunday, I preached a message <clears throat> called The Influence of the Unseen. We looked at Colossians 2, verses 8 through 10. It seemed like it was a, a well-received message. It seemed like it was one of those messages that just seems to land with a lot of people. And I'm thankful and I'm grateful for that uh, because um, I work hard on these messages. So it's nice to, to know when, when the coin drops in the slot for people. Um, today, we're going to skip two verses. I know that sounds like heresy, you know, blasphemy. You've got to cover every single verse. I promise you we're going to cover every verse in Colossians. But these two verses we're skipping over, I'm going to save them for Easter Sunday. I just feel I got a good Easter Sunday message out of that particular passage. So, so we're going to skip over verses 11 and 12. And today we're going to look at verses 13 through 15 in Colossians 2. The title of my sermon this morning is The Great Cancellation. The Great Cancellation. Let's look at our text, Colossians 2, verse 13. This is a powerful passage. Paul writes, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Everybody say all. All right? You're going to have to participate if you come to church at Northside. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's Satan and his entire demonic realm. Next Sunday, the title of my message is Disarming the Devil. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your sweet presence this morning. I just, even as we worshiped together earlier, it was confirmed in this service that you're at work today. And there's definitely a theme. There are definite, there's definitely a word that you want to drop in our hearts this morning, And I just pray right now, we as individuals and collectively, we set aside this time as holy unto the Lord. Your voice is speaking. Holy Spirit, you're speaking. Even through a, the frailty of a flawed human communicator, the power of your spirit is evident in this place. And you're going to push back the darkness in our lives. I pray, God, that as an act of worship, we would set everything else aside and we would humble ourselves before your word and invite you to speak as you would deep into the core of our being. May we receive it and your kingdom agenda be accomplished in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are three things that this passage says were accomplished by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Three things. We're going to save the last two for next Sunday. So this will be kind of a two-part series. So make sure you're here next Sunday. If you have a 
big vacation, if you have a once-in-a-lifetime cruise planned for next weekend, see if you can move that so you can be here for next Sunday. And I, I'm not laughing. No. <laughs> um, but there are three things. We're going to save the last two for next Sunday. We're going to deal with the first one today. The first one is this. Paul says Christ canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. It suggests that in a very real sense, Satan has some type of legal hold over the human race. He has a legal claim over us. Throughout the Bible, Satan is sort of like this prosecuting attorney. And he's always looking for something he can pin on you. He wants to bring your faults against you. He's always looking for something that he can accuse you of, that he can use to condemn you. That's who he is. He is the accuser. Revelation 12. He is the accuser of the brothers and sisters. That's all he does. Day and night, he accuses every fault, every shortcoming, every crime, every sin. He wants to point it out, and he wants to drive it home. He wants to cripple your life and get you to think of yourself in terms of these debts that you've incurred from your own choices. He's an accuser. From the very beginning, in, in the Garden of Eden, the very, very beginning of the, the, the story there in Genesis. In the Garden of Eden, he is the accuser, but, but he doesn't accuse us before God. He does the opposite. He actually accuses God before us. He says to Eve, did God really say don't eat from that tree? And essentially he says, well, let me tell you why. Because God's petty. And God knows if you eat from that tree, you're going to become like him. He didn't want that. He didn't want competition. He's insecure. So, so he lies about God and accuses God. He impugns God's motives in order to twist and deceive Eve into rebelling against God. He accuses God. And then we see, for example, uh, at, the, at the beginning of the book of Job, he famously does the opposite. He accuses Job before God. And he says, he says, you think this guy worships you for nothing? The only reason he worships you is what he's getting out of you. All of these blessings that he has in his life. That's why he worships you. Why don't you take all that stuff away and see if there's any worship left in Job? So he accuses us before God. He accuses God before us. He accuses us before one another. And that's what he does. He, he wants to create walls of division and disintegrate everything that God's trying to accomplish. He's the accuser of the brothers and sisters. And there's one really interesting example of this that we find in Zechariah 3. That I, really, I want us to actually look at this short little passage here for a moment because it's very interesting, very instructive for us. So here the, the prophet Zechariah, he's given a vision. And it says this in um, verse 1, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest. Now this, this is not Joshua the warrior. You know, when you think of the book of Joshua, different guy. The, word, the name Joshua is pretty common. So this is a totally different guy. He's the high priest of Israel who was alive at the time of Zechariah. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the Lord, and Satan was standing at his right side. To do what? To do what he always does. To accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? And the fire is these accusations, it's condemnation. 
Is not this man snatched? And then it says this. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Now watch this. This is very interesting. Again, you've already seen Satan's the one who's accusing Zechariah. It's not God. Satan is the accuser. But furthermore, here's what's interesting to me. What Satan is accusing Zechariah of is true. It's not a false accusation. Zechariah does have sin. He is wearing filthy clothes. It's not false. The accusation is true. And God doesn't dispute the truth of the accusation. But the Lord still rebukes the accuser. He says, this is my child we're talking about here. How dare you constantly point the finger at my child? Yes, he's got sin. But my love is greater than his sin. Yes, he's wearing dirty clothes. But we can clean him up. We can give him some some clean clothes. This is my child. How dare you constantly bring condemnation against my child? Amen? So God is not the accuser. Satan is the voice of accusation in our lives. Now, I've got to give you a little bit of bad news before we get started. Before we really get going, we've got to begin with some bad news. Hang with me. We'll get to the really good news in a second. The bad news is this. As this verse in Colossians tells us, there is a sense in which Satan really does have a hold over the human race. He has a legal claim over humanity. When God created humanity, he created us to dwell over here in the land of Eden. Or in other words, you could say it like this. He created us to dwell in the kingdom of God, in the reign of God's love. This is what we were made for. We were made to live in this land, in this kingdom. But when we sinned, all sin is treason against God. It's rebellion against God. Our sin pushed God away from us. Or we pushed ourselves away from God. That's a better way of saying it. And so because of our sin, we got transported, as it were, from this land now over to this land where Satan rules. And so there there is very much a sense in which Satan has a legal claim now because of our sin. He has a legal claim over the human race, and we're captive to that. And Satan rules his kingdom the same way he rules everybody, through threat, indictment, and the law. All right, now is everybody with me so far? Okay, so listen to me. Stay with me. Because we're gonna, I'm going to bring you somewhere really cool in just a moment. But you've got to stay on the train. So Satan rules his kingdom through accusation and condemnation from our disobedience to the law. Now, who gave the law? Somebody tell me, who actually gave the law to Israel? God. It wasn't Satan. The law came from God. And the law is a very important, necessary thing in a fallen world, in a sinful world. The law is what holds sin in check. It's what preserves a sense of law and order. Even in America, our laws, you know, as horrific as our society is, Can you imagine what it would be like if we had no laws? Law is what keeps wicked people from doing everything they want to do. 
So it's very important in a fallen world that we have laws and that Israel was given the law. But listen, law is only needed where there is no love. If you and I loved perfectly, then we would always do the right thing for the right reasons. We, would, we wouldn't need laws telling us what to do and threatening us if we don't do them. If we just loved perfectly, that's what Paul says, love fulfills the law. If we just love perfectly, we don't even need the law in the first place. So the fact that we have the law and that we need the law shows us that we've separated ourselves from the God who is love. And now what's happened, what's happened because of our disobedience is this Paul says, now the law has become a curse to us. I'm going to explain it. Even though the law is useful and necessary in a fallen world, the law has become a curse to us because we cannot live up to it perfectly because we don't love perfectly. And so all the law can do is actually condemn us. But the law cannot justify us. That's what Paul says in Galatians 2. By the law, no one will be justified. Because even if you kept the law perfectly, you still wouldn't be rightly related to God. You still wouldn't be justified. That's what justified means, being rightly related to God. You can only be rightly related to God on the basis of love. But if we had that kind of love, we wouldn't need the law. So the fact that we need the law and have the law shows us that we can't keep it in the first place. Therefore, we can't get right with God on the basis of the law. So the law has now put us under a curse. We're over here in this kingdom that we were never meant to be in, this kingdom that, that is ruled by Satan. And so the core problem is the curse of the law. Because of our sin, because of our disobedience, we're under this curse, the curse of our indebtedness. Everybody say indebtedness. That's the key word. We're indebted now because of our sin. And so if God's going to save us, he's got to do something about this curse that we're under. This indebtedness that we're legally held to now has got to be somehow resolved. And this hold that Satan has over us has got to be destroyed. Everybody still with me? All right. Now watch this. This is what's cool. I've never seen this before until I was preparing this sermon. If you go back to verse 13 and 14 on the screen, there's something I've highlighted there. I want us to read the passage. It says, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So watch this. Look at those words I put in yellow there. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Watch this. What this passage is not saying. It's not saying that God just simply took a list of our sins. Like imagine God having a list of all of your sins and just one by one, he canceled each one of them, just went right down the list. I mean, that would be beautiful if that's the way God did it. But that's not what this passage is saying. Nor is it saying that God just took the entire list of your sins and just canceled it all at once. I mean, that would be, maybe even be even more beautiful. But what Paul is telling us is that what God did is actually more beautiful than that. And it actually gets to the very root of the problem. Paul doesn't say that Christ has canceled our indebtedness. He didn't cancel our debts. He canceled the charge of our debts. Let me explain it to you this way. Let me put it in economic terms. 
let's say that you are in horrible financial shape. Let's, let's say that you have spent wildly, way beyond your means. You've spent all of this money. You've charged up your credit cards to the max. And on top of that, you, you lose your job. And so now you're in really bad financial shape, and, and they're going to foreclose upon your house, and they're going to repossess your car, and they're going to farm out your children to slave labor like they did in the olden days. I mean, just, just use your imagination. You are in terrible financial position. And let's imagine that, that I'm a really wealthy person, and I'm going to help you out. I mean, you have to use some imagination here. It would be one thing for me to just take all of your bills, all of your little bills, collect them together, and get out my checkbook in each individual bill, write a little check, put it in an envelope, and mail it off to each creditor one at a time. That would be one thing. It would be another thing as well if I were to just take all of your bills, all of your debts, consolidate them together into one loan, and just write one big check and cancel it all at once. That would be great as well. But you see, the problem is, if I did it that way, then you could still fall right back into debt. You could still go bankrupt again. You could still ruin your credit again and all of these horrific ramifications. And what Paul's showing us here is that what God did in terms of our sinful indebtedness is actually more fundamental than that. God didn't just cancel our debts. He didn't just pay off our, our sins one by one or erase the balance. He didn't just cancel the debt. He canceled the very charge of our debt. In other words, God took debt as a concept and he destroyed it. He blew up the entire economy of sin. So that money no longer even has value anymore. Imagine that. If money had no value anymore, then the banks are going to go out, they're going to go out of business. There's not going to be any banks anymore. So also, if God has taken our sin debt and destroyed the very charge of it, the very concept of debt, then the accuser has gone out of business. He doesn't have any ammo to use against us anymore. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. These powers and principalities that kept you bound, well, now because of the victory on the cross, these powers have been disarmed. They're out of business. They're unemployed. They're fired. The charge is annihilated. The psalmist says it like this, as far as the east is from the west, our transgressions have been cast away from us. There is no ultimate east and there's no ultimate west. West goes in infinity in that direction. East goes in infinity in that direction. And so if, if the psalmist is saying that God's taken all of our transgressions and he's thrown it in infinity in that direction, infinity of that direction, that's just an Old Testament way of saying it's gone. Forget about it. They're canceled. They're gone. They're, they're just destroyed. And Paul is actually taking it a step further. Not only is your individual sin cast away from you and destroyed, the very concept of debt, the very concept of guilt, the very concept of condemnation is now destroyed, abolished, eradicated, obliterated, annihilated. It's gone. It's like this. We were over here. We were dwelling in the land of indebtedness. This is Satan's rule. The land of the law, the land of bank accounts, the land of charging. This is where we were. This is some, where some of us maybe still are. The land where money still does have value. Indebtedness still does have meaning. And we were never made to dwell here. 
We were made to dwell here in the reign of God, in the reign of God's love. But because of our sin, we got transported over here into this kingdom of bondage, this kingdom of indebtedness. But if we will just surrender ourselves completely to Jesus, what Jesus does and only what he can do is he takes us and he brings us back over here where we belong. And he places us in Eden, the, the kingdom of God, the reign of God, which doesn't run on debt and accusation and condemnation. The kingdom of God runs on love. And see, when I'm here, when I'm dwelling here in God's kingdom, now my behavior doesn't have to be motivated anymore by threats and external pressure. Now my behavior can be motivated by an internal transformation because I'm catching a fresh vision of the beauty of God and God's grace in my life. And as I'm dwelling with God and in God, transformation's happening organically from the inside out. It's not coming from external threats. And now I'm a citizen of this country. I'm a citizen of this kingdom. And listen, if I'm a citizen of this kingdom, then the laws of this kingdom don't apply to me anymore. It's like this. If I'm a citizen of the United States, then it doesn't matter what the, the laws of Bangladesh say. The laws of Bangladesh have no relevance in my life. I'm dead to those laws because I'm not a citizen there. I'm a citizen of the United States of America. So also, we're dead to the kingdom of the law because we're not citizens there anymore. The, very, the, the game of condemnation is over now because we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So we're dead to that whole way of thinking. And that's why Paul says this in Romans 8. I love this. Watch this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this land that we live in now, it's not the land of Christ Jesus. Paul says it is Christ Jesus. We dwell in Christ Jesus. And when we're in Christ Jesus, that whole game of condemnation is over. There is no condemnation. And then later on in the passage, Paul says this, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Let me tell you, folks, look this way. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've given yourself to Jesus Christ, I don't care what you say or think about yourself. I don't care what anybody else says or thinks. If God says you're justified, then you're justified. Because last I checked, God's the highest authority in the land. And you ain't going to argue with God. He's God. Let me give you an illustration that I think is going to help some of you flesh this out. We're going to close shortly. I've got a friend of mine. He's, he's probably more like an acquaintance, I should say. But he became a Christian when he was 18 years old. And he became a Christian in a church that was like really hyper-legalistic. You know, if you're not familiar with that term, what I mean is just it was a church where everything's focused on the externals. You know, just you have to dress a certain way. You have to look a certain way. You know, women, you can't wear makeup. You have to wear your hair and they're tied up in a bun and you have to wear dresses all the way down to your ankles and you know all of these external rules you know you, you don't go to the movies and and no dancing and no this and no that and no this and no that just a long list of these these rules and, and 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 somehow these rules are even tied to your eternal destiny you know that, that everything hangs on whether or not you're gonna follow these rules and it's very external focus and 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 this is the kind of church where he became a christian 
Well, earlier in his life, he had a breakup in his family. His family blew apart. And he lived with his dad mostly throughout his entire childhood. And uh, his dad was not a believer. And his dad had pornography laying around the house all the time. And he had no problem with his son looking at it. And so here's this young boy, think about it, 13, 14, 15 years old, full of hormones, and he's got pornography in front of his face every day of his life. And so as you can imagine, it just really takes a hold of him. And he develops this addiction to pornography. I mean, just had a steady diet of it, diet of it all throughout his teenage years. But he turns 18, and at some point, 18 years old, he gets connected to this church, and he becomes a Christian. And all of a sudden now, it's like God's doing something new in his heart. There's like this hunger for God that he's never had before and this desire to live for God. And he's excited, and he's got a new destiny, a new identity now. But every day, he goes right back to his house, and there's all this pornography right in front of his face. And as much as he wants to live for God and follow God and serve God, this, this, this hold, this addiction just keeps pulling him back in. I mean, those of you that have struggled with pornography before, you understand it's hard for, for a person, especially a young person, to just walk away from that stuff. It gets a, an addictive hold on your life. And so he, con- he just continues struggling with that even after giving his life to Jesus. There's still this real struggle, and he doesn't want to struggle with it, but it just has such a hold on him. And it's in front, it's, as an 18-year-old kid, you don't have a whole lot of options if, it's, if your dad's got it laying around all the time. So he struggles and struggles. And, and, and to make matters worse, the church where he was in, you know, had this mentality that, you know, you're only as saved as your last sinless moment. So, like, even if you're a Christian, if, if, if you sin, no matter what it is, I mean, you better hurry up and repent because if you get in a car accident and die, your eternal destiny is at stake. So you better think of everything you've done and make sure you, 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 you know, it's just kind of this, it, this insecurity, this eternal insecurity that I never know. I just better make sure I repent multiple times a day because God may have something against me that he's going to use that I can't, you know. And so it just brought so much anxiety and insecurity in this 18-year-old young man. And he felt like a yo-yo, like every day he's getting unsaved and resaved, unsaved, resaved, like a yo-yo. You just imagine God up there and, you know, he writes his name down in the Lamb's Book of Life and then he's got to erase it. Then he's got to write it again, erase it. And that's, the, that's the kind of understanding that he had. And after two years of living this way, being tortured by these dual, this dual nature, he finally got sick of it. He was sick of living this way. And he was sure God was sick of it. He was sure God was sick of him. Like, what, come on, you keep saying you want to serve me, but look at what you keep doing. Like, I'm so disappointed here. Why don't you just serve me? Why don't you just get it right? And finally, he said there was like a Sunday night service at the church. And when the service was over, he walked out, and he was just sure it was going to be his last service. And he was so frustrated. And he was out in the church parking lot, and there was a friend of his that he was talking with. And he was, for the first time, he was just being really honest and authentic and he was saying things that he otherwise would have never said because in this church, everything hangs on the external. So 
you better, you know, certain things you better not say. You better not express things. And, you know, if you've got any doubts or if you've got any hang-ups with God, you better keep that on the inside and not say. But, but at this point, he just had nothing to lose. And he was just being real. He's being authentic. And he was so full of anger. I mean, he was angry at himself, but he was also angry at God. I mean, he still believed in God, but he just felt like, man, I, I can't serve him. I'm not capable of serving God. I can't do it. And out of anger, he took his Bible and he threw it into his truck. And his Bible, when it landed, it just kind of flopped open to a certain passage. And he goes, and just, just out of anger, he takes his Bible and, and just very sarcastically, he starts to read it. Oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Now, here's the thing. In that moment, it's almost like God was saying, thank you. Finally, some honesty here. Now, let me get honest with you. And his Bible's open to Romans 8. Put it back on the screen, Romans 8. And he just starts to read. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he just reads and reads and reads. And he gets, he gets there. Who will bring any charge against us? It is God who justifies. Who can condemn us? And he said, as he's reading this, totally unexpected, it's like a light turned on. And he said, for the first time, I saw a picture of God that I could actually love. See, he had a troubled life. He was a very hyperactive kid, misbehaved. He was always in trouble with authority, whether it was his parents, stepmom, his, the Catholic nuns at his uh, school that he was raised in. All of his authority, he just had this strange relationship. Like, come on, son, get it right. Get it straight. Why can't you just do the right thing? Get it together. And he had this image of himself, like, this is who I am. I'm always going to be in trouble. I'm never going to get it right. I'm always going to mess it up. And authority is always going to be mad and disappointed at me. And so that's kind of the way he learned to view God. That God's always up there with his arms folded, scowl on his face, bearing down at him, just like every other authority figure in his life. Come on, get it right. If you're going to serve me, serve me. Stop doing this. Get it together. And he said right there in that church parking lot, therefore there is now no, it's like all of a sudden this piercing revelation just cut through all of that. And God's speaking to him and saying, you got it all wrong. This picture you have of me, it's actually an accurate picture of the devil. It's not me. Satan is the accuser. I'm not the accuser. And, he, and he's telling him, if you give in your heart to me, you are in Christ Jesus and you have to understand I love you. And yeah, you're a sinner. Yeah, you've got filthy clothes. But we can take care of that. Bring it to me. I'll work with you. I'll get you cleaned up. I'll get you some clean clothes. But the most important thing you've got to know from the very beginning is that I love you just the way you are. I'm not going to leave you this way. But there's nothing you can ever do that will cause me to love you any less than I do right now or any more than I do right now. And he said it's like for the first time he begins to understand and experience a love from God in spite of all of the mess in his life. That God actually loves him for free. He didn't have to earn it. He didn't have to perform it. And he said that is when everything changed. I'm sure he had some hiccups later on like all of us do. But he said that's when the whole trajectory changed. See, for this guy, 
the threat of condemnation was not enough to break the bondage of pornography in his life. The threat of the law, even the threat of hell, was not enough to break the bondage of pornography. Maybe for others it is, but for him it wasn't enough. But let me tell you, and especially for folks watching us, listening to this, and maybe you've got a stronghold in your life, when you will allow time and space and opportunity for God to envelop you in his love, not just something you know about, but when you give him time and space to envelop you and allow you to encounter and experience his unconditioned love in your life, the love of God is going to compel you and motivate you and transform you in ways that nothing else can. And now it's not a sense of, I have to serve God. Now it's like, I want to serve God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can bring a charge against us? Who can condemn us? It's God who justifies. And see, our brain hears that, our brain reads it, and we, and we just want to say, well, it's, it just sounds too good to be true. And the enemy will try to get in there and mess us all up. But you just got to tell yourself, I can't argue with God. And so I want to tell you folks, if you're in this place, if you're in Christ Jesus, if you've sur submitted your life to Jesus, if God says you're free, you're free. If God says you're justified, you're justified. If God says you're righteous, you're righteous. If God says you're his child, then you're his child. If God says your sin's been removed, your sin's been removed. If God says the enemy's defeated, the enemy's defeated. He's God. You can't argue with God. He's the creator. He's the one who spoke and light came into being. When God speaks, it happens. It's done. So if God says, Ryan, you are made righteous, it doesn't matter what I feel. And he's not pretending. I really am in Christ. I'm a new creation. I've got righteous DNA flowing through my veins. Now, my mind might still be messed up. I might not always get it. I might not always live this out perfectly. And so we've got to work on that. We've got to get that cleaned up. But the charge against us is gone. The indebtedness is gone. The, the bondage is gone. The guilt and the shame is gone. The charge has been annihilated, praise God. If you're watching this, if you're listening to this, and you've given yourself to Jesus, and you're in Christ, I want to tell you the charge of your abortion is annihilated. The charge of your three divorces is annihilated. Accept it. The charge of your affair that blew apart your family is annihilated. Praise God. The charge of your pettiness, the charge of the violence in your heart, the charge of your racism, the charge of your homosexuality, the charge of your promiscuity, the charge of your self-righteousness. As far as the East is from the West, it's gone. It's abolished. It's annihilated forever. Praise God. He who the Son has set free is what? Free indeed. Amen. We have, we have trouble believing it. It's like, come on, what's the fine print? And that's the accuser way of thinking. Maybe there's somebody here, you're listening to me preach right now, and there's part of you that's like, this is pie in the sky. This is wishful thinking. Come on, this is baloney. Or maybe you're listening to this, and maybe there's like a pharisaical part of your brain. And you're like, Ryan, if... If you preach this way, people are going to go around sinning all the time. They're going to think they have a license to sin. We've got to get them to stop sinning. And you know what? Maybe, maybe they will. Maybe they will. 
If they don't have the love of God in their life, working in their life, maybe they will. But that doesn't change the fact that when the love of God gets on the inside of your life and you learn to accept that in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no shame. God loves me for free. God is not the accuser. Satan is the accuser. God rebukes the accuser. God's not against me. He's for me. He's the one who defends me. And he says, how dare you bring an accusation? This is my beloved child. When that begins to get on the inside, when we get that vision of God, everything changes. He makes everything beautiful. He makes everything new. He makes beauty from ashes. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To learn more about Northside Assembly of God, check out our website at www.northsidecrowley.com.